Have you ever wondered how the separate threads of your life fit in to one big picture? How the individual moments of challenge and triumph connect to one another to form the great meaning of your life? I am Anna Mullins, your Life Story Editor, and I'm convinced that making sense of our deepest pain can help us understand our deepest purpose. In my speaker training program and on this podcast, I help people weave together those confusing, often shameful pieces of their past, revealing the life-changing lessons that create their profound new story. Welcome to Unapologetic Stories, where secrets are out and the truth is in. Welcome back, storytellers. It is May the 26th, which seems really normal, actually. It's Wednesday, May the 26th, and we always drop edits on Wednesdays, but this one is really special. It is the first edit back after the release of what I think is a groundbreaking documentary or docuseries the release of Oprah and Prince Harry's The Me You Can't See, which debuted on Apple TV Plus, I believe, last Thursday. It's also the very last week of Mental Health Awareness Month. And if you know me, you know that mental health advocacy is the foundation of basically everything that I do. But here's the really special thing. It is also my birthday today as I'm recording, which is not really today. This is the magic of the land of podcasting and recording. My birthday was on Monday, the 24th, and I turned 39. And as I sit here today on my 39th birthday, recording this edit for you, I am struck by something incredibly profound, which is that I was 29 at the time of my accident. I'm now 39. And near decade, really a whole decade of my life, has now been swarmed really by trauma and mental health struggles. And so I thought that it would be important and relevant given these key things that have happened to do a solo edit. It might be the mimosas talking, the birthday breakfast mimosas, but I'm feeling a little breathless even kind of starting this episode. I will say this is going to be maybe a little hard for me, but I'm going to do my best to get through it. And I'm going to call this edit how to know the me you can't see. And that starts with me, 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 me. Letting you, my listeners, hear and see the version of me that you really have never seen. The one that has struggled now for a decade, 10 full years of my life. Because isn't it true, really, that no matter how public our lives seem these days, 
how much of our lives and ourselves we display online in various ways. We all have secrets of some kind. We all have parts of ourselves that are never revealed. And we all have stories that never surface, books that never get written, talks that never get delivered, and even personal truths that we never share. And sometimes that is a-okay. In fact, much of the time, I advocate for keeping your private life private. I'm very private. There's not a lot of me out there online. There is always value in honoring the things that you need to keep sacred. And you know what those things are. You can take a moment right now and simply ask yourself, what is mine and only mine? Sometimes it's a painful personal story and other times it's the special conversations that you have with your children before bed at night or the ones you have with yourself every morning as you face the day. Sometimes it's those details and insecurities that you keep safe for other people, not just yourself, secrets that are not yours, trust that can't be broken. And sometimes it's even a great, big, happy occasion whose joy just feels so intimate, too intimate to share with anyone else. A conversation that lights you up, that changes your mind, or even inspires you to be a stronger version of yourself. But sometimes, sometimes, we don't share things not because we don't want to or because we are choosing to hold them in silence, but because someone else or a force seemingly bigger than us a system seemingly greater than us has told us that our silence is required, that our voice, if we should use it, will be ostracized, outcast, shamed, and set aside, and that if we speak up and we share our story, we will no longer belong. We will not be respected. We will not be approved of. We will not fit in. We will not be accepted. These are the stories these are the stories that are important to talk about today. The ones that we have been told not to tell. Stigma, shame, and secrecy. And often, those stories are about mental health. Too often, those stories are about mental health. And if you have been here for a while now, if you've been following me since the beginning, or even if you've just started following this podcast along the way, you will know that I am fairly open about my mental health struggles. I have complex post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and depression. T trauma, A anxiety, D depression. I have like the full alphabet. T-A-D. So I'm just a tad bit scared about what I'm going to share with you today about those things. But I'm going to do it anyway because it's needed. And we'll talk about that more later. Because I don't want to be held back by a system that tells me I can't share this or I may not belong. 
I'm choosing not to believe that narrative anymore. But this is not without fear because that narrative that we are fed for so many years, at least the narrative I was fed, and not by my family, but just society in general, was that the D in depression meant dumb. The A in anxiety meant lack of ability. That the T in trauma meant that you were troubled in some way or taxing worse on everyone around you. And that somehow you cannot be two things at the same time. That is what I thoroughly believed. You cannot be depressed and also successful. You cannot be anxious and also brave. You cannot be traumatized and also wise. You can't be a teacher of things that somehow you are not outwardly achieving. Well, bullshit. Because achievement is a myth. And you can be both sad and happy at the same time. You can. And you can be drawing, and you can be creating, and you can also be feeling uninspired at the same time. You can actually be dreaming and dying at the same time. Those two things can coexist. You can be someone like my own mother who has lived with cancer, life-limiting cancer for over 15 years, and still has a dream to bring ongoing supportive care to others who are experiencing the same thing. Things that she didn't receive, support and care from the system she couldn't find when she needed it. Yes, you absolutely can be two things at once. So I'm going to start today by talking a little bit about the Oprah and Prince Harry series. Now, I don't know if you've watched it. I don't know if you're interested in watching it. If you're an Oprah fan like myself, if you're a Prince Harry and Meghan fan, I'm a huge fan of breaking silence and stigma. So they are people I truly look up to. If you haven't watched this, the me you can't see, that's okay. You don't have to, but I'm going to share with you some thoughts from it anyway. And then I'm going to show you a little of the me that you can't see. And those two seemingly competing sides of even myself, the side who struggles and the side who also aspires to service and to change. So let's start with the docuseries. I watched it and I will tell you, of course I watched it, that I was bawling, bawling in just episode one. And it wasn't just the individual stories that they were sharing, which are hard very, very hard. But it was because I saw myself and other people that I know and love in almost every single story. The tears for me, it was from, oh, I think the freedom maybe just to witness other, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, successful people talk about mental health struggles and see this dichotomy, these these two things operating at once. And for me to imagine in some way that the thing I had held true in my heart for so long about myself was not actually true. That struggling with your brain doesn't mean you've lost your brain. And that sounds maybe very nutty and a leap that some people don't take, but I certainly took that leap. I jumped to that conclusion. And that was my honest to goodness self-talk for a very, very long time. And I don't say this easily, truly, this is really hard for me to go back to that place 
of when I was first diagnosed. And I hadn't really experienced a great deal of mental health struggles before in the past. This was really new for me. And I absolutely and entirely judged myself for that diagnosis. It was really hard on myself. And I imagine that the brain I had was a pretty good brain was now really not capable of ever being useful again. That was the conclusion I had drawn here. And what I now know a near decade later is that struggling with your brain's chemistry does not, of course, mean that you are useless or broken. Although those were words at one point I imagined were true about myself for many years. I imagine that the stuckness, that stuck feeling was something that was making me unproductive and and lazy even. I really believe that slowing down to rest or take care of myself was weakness and not strength. I do not believe that anymore. I know that that is not true. In fact, sometimes being unproductive is the most productive thing that you can do. And it took me to actually stop, entirely stop, in order to edit that story and write a new one. I was personally so hung up on my own need to be successful, air quotes, successful. I didn't know how to even assess what that success should look like. I was just wholly attached to external definitions of it, wholly attached to success being some currency-driven mission. Now, I want to offer something to you today. If you feel comfortable traveling down this road with me, and if you can safely close your eyes right now, wherever you are, we're going to test this theory because it's Wednesday, so you're probably trying to be productive somewhere in some way. And if you're not driving or supervising other small humans who need you, I invite you to close your eyes. I invite you to stop with me today and slow down. And only, of course, if being with your eyes closed feels safe for you and not scary. Let's go through a visualization together. If you need to, just find a soft gaze somewhere on the floor nearby and then take a deep breath in and a big, slow breath out. And I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a world the world, your world, maybe it's your current workplace, or your home, or your gym, but imagine your world and imagine that in it, no one around you, no one above you, no one in your circle, or your family believes that productivity defines your success. They no longer need anything from you. 
The world does not need you to make money. Your family is safe. There are no bills. There are no sales targets. There are no body goals, no expectations at all for you to produce anything material ever again. Just settle into that. You may be surprised how quickly you can settle into that. That knowing that there are no longer tests or awards for success. There is no currency. There's no money. The expectations are stripped away. No matter how much you learn through your own experience walking through this world, the gold star is only ever how that education helps you serve. How that learning and that personal experience helps you to serve another human being. That is all. Just a collective giving back of your new skills and learning to others with no expectation of a return of any kind. No exchange of money. There will be no job title, no business card, only service. Now sink deeper into yourself inside this new world. Drop into your body and ask yourself, who am I now? Who am I really without our current definitions of productivity and worth? What do I have to give? And what have I learned from my life? Just my life as a human being that can help me help others. How would I feel if I had nothing external, nothing material to give that would carry any worth at all except myself? my personal experience, and my story. How does it feel now that the only way I can know people is to actually ask them what they have felt as a human being, what pain they have uncovered, what routes to joy they have found, simply by being human. What if those were the stories? What if that was the currency? And what if we yearned more to have the experience of being human side by side with other humans 
yearned more for that than the experience of becoming something better or more worthy by proving we are stronger, faster, richer, thinner, more beautiful, more able, more successful, staking our very worth on stories we haven't and cannot achieve. The impossible dream is what I call that. The impossible dream. Is it possible to be faster all the time or stronger all the time to never feel pain? Of course not. What if we yearned more to have the experience of being human side by side with other humans? Now open your eyes. Who are you now without these things? Now I will tell you, this is what I believe. Who are you now? You are the you that you do not regularly see. You are the you that you do not regularly visit with. The you you are afraid to show in case your humanness and your vulnerability and the actual experience of feeling and emotion becomes someone else's stepping stone to a higher place of worth and success. Again, air quotes. We are just so confounded as humans, aren't we? We have these definitions for things like success. Because we imagine that that is our legacy. Well, what is legacy? If you ask the dictionary, Google it now, it is defined as an amount of money or property left to someone in a will. That just sucks you right out of that soul place we were just in, doesn't it? You can feel the coldness in that. And yet when you ask a human to remember their lost loved one and to talk about the ways that they contributed to a broader legacy, you will hear one universal truth every single time. You will hear about how that person helped other people, how they shared their learnings and their experience and their wisdom and God willing, their personal story with the world. Is storytelling then the new currency? Is it not the sharing of our learned experiences that makes us richer? We know that's true. Probably is settling in somewhere right now, even as I say it. But this conversation, the one I'm having with you today, is of course, it's always about the sharing of story and speaking up when you can and when it's safe. But it's not just about speaking up. It's not just about the speaker. It is about the people that we speak up to. It is about the collective audience, the listener, the catcher, the holder, the keepers of our legacy stories. It is our responsibility as human beings to not only learn from the stories of others, but I'm going to try and say this without breaking into tears. 
It is our responsibility to believe the storyteller. I'm going to say that again. It is our responsibility as human beings to not only learn from those stories, but to believe the storyteller. We know that it's true that what we all want is to be seen. I've talked about this and talked about this at length. We just want to be seen, to be seen. And even that definition, to be seen, requires a seer. I'm pausing there deliberately so that we can think about that. We cannot be seen without a seer. And I can give you a lot of spiritual definitions about seers and what that means and who is seeing whom. And we talk a lot, I'm telling you a lot in the personal development space about just becoming our own seer, acknowledging and accepting our own story self-love, accepting ourselves. And of course, that is always the goal. That is the goal. That's the gold star moment. But let's just imagine for a moment how hard it would be to get there. How hard that we make each other's journeys to that place of self-love and acceptance, that big gold star moment. When we are showing people in our day-to-day lives how hard it is for them to be accepted or acceptable, we continuously provide the opposite feedback as a society, the not believing, the not validating over and over and over again. Why are we doing this to each other? Why are we doing this to each other, other human beings? Yes, we need to speak up. There's a lot of periods in that sentence. We need to speak up. We need to share our stories. This documentary I'm talking about is testament to that because it makes all of us feel less alone, every last one of us. And it reminds people just like me that you can be both a contributing member of society and a contributor. You can do both. You can contribute to other people's health and healing, and you can also be a contributor to your own health and healing. It reminds people like me that the success that we seek, again, air quotes around that word success, doesn't come in the absence of our humanness, but in the embrace of it really grabbing hold of every single last piece of who we are. And that requires that we as a collective, as listeners, as audience members, need to catch those stories in our arms too. This is not a one-way street. We cannot put the burden of responsibility on the one who is suffering to make the change. We do this all the time in social justice work. We do this in the feminist space. We do it in anti-racism work. We do it in our body image conversations, in the work of sexual and domestic violence. And also in this work of unraveling trauma, 
trauma, little t, trauma, big t, trauma complex, and mental illness. Yes, we need the stories. We need to center the voice of the one who holds that story, the one who can help teach us. But we so, so badly need to learn how to hold those stories once they're out in the world. We need to know how to validate them and not ignore them. And sometimes that's just as simple as saying, I had no idea that happened to you. And I'm so very sorry. I'm so very sorry that that happened to you. That that thing happened to you and it was not your fault. And I believe you because the damage is done. Hear me when I say this, the damage done in the invalidation of trauma is worse than the trauma itself. And if you're doubting this right now and you're thinking, we can't face the trauma, we can't give in to the pain and the fear because it will perpetuate it in some way. It will move us farther away from that goal of love and joy and happiness that we all inherently seek. Please know that the less that we receive that pain, our own pain and the pain of others, the less that we can all collectively experience the joy. And maybe that doesn't matter to you, but fuck, it matters to me. We cannot celebrate joy. We can't. We simply cannot unless we get to a place where everyone feels included in that joy and has access to that joy or their version of that joy. Or it just simply isn't going to cut it. And when we bypass that, we focus on that success based on productivity that draws us away from who we are and away from the critical learning that we can get when we simply listen to one another. It is so easy for us to say that the goal is happiness and joy, isn't it? Why not just stay there? Why not just focus on love and happiness and radiate that out into the world? Because in each individual life, just think of your own individual life, your own life. If we can just focus there, you know that that's not the truth. Even sometimes when we focus on the gratitude and we focus on the joy and we do all of the things we're taught to do, it doesn't mean sadness doesn't arrive again. And we still need to know how to meet it, don't we? We need to know how to meet it when it arrives again. And to say, I see you, to just validate our own pain in those moments and not overlook it because that's the truth. And things happen to human beings. In fact, mostly it's other human beings that happen to other human beings. And so we're the ones that have to do better. We just have to. And trauma and mental health, man, those are complex topics. And not all healing comes easy. Sometimes healing is very, very difficult. But the thing that makes it exponentially more difficult is not being believed. It's not being validated or heard or seen. It feels so simple. And I've probably said this a number of times before. And maybe you're listening and thinking, Anna, we've heard you say this before. Because it does feel so simple, but it just feels really important right now too. It's so difficult for us as humans to get to that place of seeing each other when it's something that we have not experienced or that we are, better yet, perhaps afraid to experience again. 
it's either our limited imagination as adults. Now, children are much better at this. They can imagine things outside of themselves in a way that adults really can't. But these limited imaginations, right? It says, I haven't seen it. And so I can't imagine that it's true. And our first instinct is to question it. Well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't need to make sense to you. It's not your story. And I've been fascinated for some time now, in fact, about that adult imagination and when abouts we lose it and how we lose it. Is it grand enough? Is our imagination grand enough at this point or evolved enough to be able to imagine that something we haven't experienced ourselves could in fact be true? Now, Prince Harry says in this series, The Me You Can't See, he says, the things we can't see and the things we don't understand scare us. Yes, it's fear. Fear stops us too from being in the empathy But I think it's more than empathy. It is more than that. It's faith in one another. It is faith in the person standing right next to you, the person sitting right across the table, the person you live with, the person you may be married to, the person you call a friend or even a best friend. Do you have faith deep enough in that other person to hear them, to believe them, and to say, I see you, even though I may not understand. Do you have faith in that human being to still be worthy of belonging and also capable of overcoming? Do you see them as inherently strong or inherently weak when they face pain and sadness and, holy shit, share it with you? What are you making that mean about them? And more importantly, and at the foundation of all of this, is this question of, do you have faith in yourself enough as a human being when everything, all your productivity, all your currency, all your money, all your job titles, everything you've ever been taught to find your worth? Do you have enough faith in yourself, in that stripped down version, in your own vulnerabilities and your own fragile nature? Do you have faith enough in yourself, in your own ability to overcome pain in order to allow it to exist in another person? Because that is the real fear, isn't it? If it exists in you, if it can happen to you, then it can happen to me. And that's a scary thought. If something bad can happen to you, it can happen to me. It's a very connective experience to think that, but also a very terrifying one. So we have to unravel that and see that what we see in other people's joy and success and the things that we aspire to, and we say, if she can do it, I can do it is the same thing that blocks us in fear when we see someone else in pain or trauma. We see their fear and we say, if it can happen to her, it can happen to me. Right? Now, I have a quote that I've been saying for years. Initially, it was focused on the female audience at Unapologetically Her. 
think I started saying it a few years back at our first show, but it's really true for all humans. And it went something like this. I'm sure I'll butcher my own quote here, but it was women don't need to be empowered. They need to be met at the power they already have or that they already are. But what does that mean? Because of course we need to empower those who are disempowered. That's kind of the whole nature of helping people, right? But we have to just go a step deeper with me here. Follow me. We have to have to understand that human beings or anything at all, and take human beings aside, has to at first be powerful or full of power in order to then be disempowered or stripped of that power. For their power to be taken away or removed or reallocated or stolen, it had to at first be there. If we were not inherently powerful, we would not be able to use the word disempowered. And this is not semantics. This is knowing our inherent value. But here is the sad truth about this. And this is the thing that bothered me when I first created this quote is that we as human beings are the ones disempowering people. Humans are doing that. Animals aren't doing that. Nature doesn't do that. Humans do that. They recognize power in other people and then they take it away. They do the thing I was talking about before. They chase the productivity by standing on the head of somebody who is more vulnerable. So we disempower people and then we have this whole system of self-help gurus who charge people money to empower them again. And that never really sat well with me. Like, I want to meet you at that original power. I want to see you for that power. And I want to accept the responsibility of holding that, seeing that, meeting you at that power. And my goodness, trying to pull apart all of the systems that have worked systematically to disempower you. Because that's the problem, isn't it? We just want, I just want people to be unapologetically themselves. I want to listen to people. I don't want to demand that they be anything other than what they are, who they are, their pain, their wisdom. My God, that's the power. That's the power. Don't demand productivity from people or success. Don't demand that they be joyful all the time. Demand that they be joyful on their own terms, whatever that looks like. Demand the truth. If we can just see the beauty and the power and the strength that is inherent in every single human being, then we meet people at that, at their humanness and their pain, every single thing about them. And we just don't work against one another. We wouldn't need the word disempower and we wouldn't need the word empower because we would all just give whatever we could to those who needed it and receive what we need from those who have found it. That is a society I dream about, the society of storytelling currency, where you take your pain and you transform that into wisdom
and then you share it outwardly and by God, somebody hears it and collects it and holds it for you and then turns around and shares it again. That is a society I want to get on board with. We would only see people in the power that they are as human beings, their personal power. And we would believe that whoever they are, whoever we are, that's the key thing about this is if you do it for others, you're doing it for yourself and vice versa, that whoever you are is exactly right and exactly true and exactly what the world needs. That is a game changer. And that is a difference. That is the difference for a lot of people between starting a healing journey and never, ever starting or never being able to see the finish line. Because when somebody believes you, they are saying, not only do I see what has happened to you, but I trust you. Just feel that and go back to our visualization. I trust you. I trust not only what you've learned and the wisdom that you now have, but I trust that you are now my teacher. Oprah talks about this in her new book. It's called What Happened to Me. This concept of post-traumatic wisdom, that's what I'm talking about here, right? I, I've been calling it for years, turning pain into purpose, but similar concept, right? Post-traumatic wisdom. I love this new term. The ability for people to take that pain and really elevate it and springboard into something that's more meaningful. And I will tell you, when I first saw the title of this book announced, I cried my eyes out. I mean, I love a good book. We know that about me. And of course, I bought it naturally right away and I cried some more and I cried when it arrived. And the reason that the tears were coming was this recognition, this assertion that my trauma wasn't my fault. Imagine that. It's not your fault. It happened to you. I have been beating my head against a wall for years trying to get people to see that it's not their fault. And I don't know that I ever truly believed it for myself. This has been my mission 